0: Netta Porte presents the Incredible Women podcast, Series 2, Changemakers. After a year like no other, celebrating Changemakers has never seemed more relevant. I'm Alice Casely-Hayford, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Rina Sawayama for this episode of our Changemakers podcast. Rina Sawayama is an incredible singer-songwriter whose debut album, Sawayama, released in 2020, was critically acclaimed on both sides of the Atlantic. Fusing electro-pop and R&B with elements of new metal, her impact on the music industry goes beyond her modern sound and powerful lyrics. Over the past year, Sawayama has successfully affected historic changes within the music industry by challenging archaic and unfair rules. In July 2020, Sawayama posted a public tweet about her ineligibility to be nominated for major UK music awards, such as the Mercury Prize and Brit Awards, due to the fact that she does not have British citizenship. The artist holds an indefinite leave-to-remain visa for the UK and has resided in Britain for the past 26 years. Following her tweet, the hashtag SawayamaIsBritish swiftly began trending on Twitter and the movement gained support from loyal fans and followers, including Elton John, Boy George and Emma Following the campaign, the singer spoke with the chairman of the BPI, which organises both the Brits and the Mercury Prize, and convinced the organisation to review its criteria. In February 2021, it was announced that the infrastructure had changed. Under new rules, artists who have been a resident in the UK for more than five years qualify for the main prizes. As a happy outcome, which saw fans rejoicing worldwide, Sawayama has been nominated for the Brits Rising Star Award ahead of the 2020 ceremony in May. And it's not just within the world of music that Sawayama uses her voice and platform to campaign for change. In July 2020, she signed an open letter to the UK Equalities Minister, Liz Truss, calling for a ban on all forms of LGBTQ conversion therapy.
1: Hi, Rena. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's such a pleasure to have you here joining our Changemakers podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today. How have things been?
1: Great. I just ate some banana bread, so I'm feeling very happy.
0: (laughs) Good. That feels like the perfect lockdown snack.
1: And I'm such a lockdown cliche.
0: (laughs) Speaking of lockdown, over the past year, you've obviously released your incredible debut album, What has it been like releasing and promoting such an important piece of work during a pandemic?
1: Oh, it's been good and bad. Good because I've been able to do all my promo without leaving my house, which (laughs) at first was a bit too much, but I got used to it. And then I loved it because I could just get up and then not even put proper pants on, do my interviews and call it a day. But... On the flip side that, obviously, I haven't been able to tour. So it's been really sad not being, not touring. I love performing so much. And for me, performing is where I test my songs, you know. It's almost like you're a stand-up comedian. You're testing your material. You need to test that stuff to then move on to the next thing. And so obviously, the typical album cycle has really been disrupted by this pandemic. So we're trying to figure out what to do. I've already started writing for my next album. But I wouldn't say that I'm the most inspired right now, but I'm just really trying to write something to get me through. But it's been weird. I've been able to do like TV performances. Like I did a um, Jimmy Fallon performance. I've got a couple more things coming up, but... Doing that without the practice of anything is so wild. It's so scary.
0: I've been singing at home, but it's not the same as practicing performing. and Of course. And it must be very strange going from gigging a lot and supporting Charlie XCX on tour and being to engage each, every night with your amazing audiences to then being, as you said, trapped at home where you can't connect in the same way. And obviously, Jimmy Fallon, that's awesome. Have you had to find new ways of engaging with your fans and your followers?
1: Yeah, I guess it's now been exclusively social media, which a lot of my fan base is kind of on social media anyway. And that's how we interacted anyway. But, you know, a lot of the payoff of, of that whole interaction is the shows and meeting the fans and doing meet and greets and interacting with the audience. So, you know, I think for all of us, not just people in the music industry, but gigs and festivals something we really really look forward to is where we find ourselves lose ourselves and it's really important so I really can't wait to get back to that but yeah in the meantime social media has somewhat filled that spot and actually I'm really grateful because without that I don't think my album would have been heard
0: by this many people Well absolutely. I think we'd love to go back to the start of your career around 2013 and obviously the past year has been incredibly pivotal for the music industry and we've had to be very reactive and change in lots of different ways across all sorts of industries but over the years that you've been making music how has the industry evolved?
1: Oh the first thing that comes to mind when I think of how the industry has evolved is thinking about the technology. When I first started doing music, Spotify was brand new. And I remember not understanding how to upload music onto Spotify and, you know, all that question mark. And then when I started putting music up on SoundCloud, I I still don't think I knew how to put songs up on Spotify. So yeah, I went from kind of uploading free music onto SoundCloud and then there being so much music out there. And then now the emphasis is, I think, returned back to Spotify and streaming platforms. But yeah. God, it's it's changed in a lot of ways. It's changed in that way. It's definitely become more diverse, which is really nice. Even looking at the Grammys and, and Brits and things like that is becoming more diverse, I would say. Whether that's reverberated behind the scenes, I'm yet to see that side of things. Although when I look at major labels, I find that there's actually more diversity in major labels, I would say.
0: You know, talking about diversity in the music industry and how things have evolved over the past decade, to you, does it feel superficial and maybe even tokenistic or does it feel more meaningful like things are really changing behind the scenes in terms of the execs and the boards and where we really need to see it, where the power lies?
1: Oh, that's a good question. On my personal experience, I really haven't seen that much diversity in the boards and execs yet and still. I try and bring diversity with my team And that's what I did when I joined my label and around about, you know, last summer when Black Lives Matter movement was happening. I spoke to the head of my label and I said, I really want to see more diverse faces, please. And trying to talk about what the barriers are and trying to even apply my own experience with the music industry, which I kind of count myself as an outsider. I don't know. any. I didn't know anyone from the industry. My parents are immigrants. We had no idea how people make money out of music. Either you were like dirt poor or super mega rich. There's no in between how do you put music out? How do you make money from music? No idea. So I really think it has to do with the options that we're presented at, at school. There's no one saying, no, you can't come in because you're not white. You know, no one's doing that in the music industry, I hope. There is definitely some casual racism going on, I'm sure, like every industry. But... I would say there's no one actually saying no. And in fact, like in terms of the artist, is probably one of the most most diverse industries, right? But I would say that it's just the outreach. that ha- I think it needs to happen at school and that's sixth form. I remember I was told by my parents to go into a specific industry and I didn't know, I did not have the information about music industry. And I think the career service was a little bit outdated in that respect, so... Yeah, it starts from there, and then it's all about sort of looking out for little things that doesn't seem right. Speaking up.
0: Well, we can't talk about inclusivity and diversity in the music industry, specifically the UK music industry, without talking about the amazing changes that you've helped to make over the past year. For our listeners who aren't aware, do you mind talking a bit about that amazing campaign that you started and the terrible injustices and the good outcome that we finally received?
1: Yeah. So to give a context, I am Japanese and you can't have two passports as a a Japanese citizen, basically. And though I've lived in the UK for 26 years, I have no family members in the UK. They're all in Japan. So it's really important to me, especially during this time of corona, where there are restrictions to entry to keep my passport. So there's been other inconveniences caused by that, such as I've never been able to vote. I've never voted ever. And I did a politics degree as well, so it like, really hurts me inside. <laughs> I want to vote so bad. Um, And anyway, so that's the context. I've held on to my Japanese passport. And upon releasing this album, when I signed to Dirty Hit, the first thing I said to them was, I want to win a Mercury with this record. That's literally what I said. I said, they said, what do you want? Where do you want to be in five years? I was like, I want to win a Mercury with this album. So then my hopes were dashed when my label then reached out to the Mercury's and were like, hey, we're going to submit this album, but there's a passport, you know, you have to submit your passport. You have to, you know, show the citizenship side and Rena's hasn't got a British citizenship. And um, at the time Mercury's and Bridge, which is both run by the BPI, they have a clause in there where it says you have to have a British passport. And for that reason, I wasn't entered into the nominations for the Mercuries. And I was really sad in the background, obviously, but I didn't want to say anything until people like Elton John and all the like BBC and Guardian and people, they started including me in the snubs list. And I did wonder if there are other people who have less of a platform than me that have missed out in this way. I Basically, I did an article in Vice about it with an amazing journalist called Zing, who also has Indefinite Leave to Remain, which is the type of visa that I have. And, you know, just did an article and I just thought, okay, cool. Maybe people will understand what's going on. And this will answer some questions that people have about why the album's not in the nominations list and then it blew up i was it getting blew up yeah it blew up <laughs> i was it was like it was trending basically in the uk and then in the us and then in some other countries as well and And then I had loads of TV offers, but that's not kind of what I wanted. That's really not what I wanted. I just wanted to have one conversation with the BPI and just be like, can you change the rules? And then they'll just be like, yeah, sorry, this is a mistake. And so it took actually a couple of months for that conversation to happen. And luckily, I was able to chat to the chairman of the BPI, who's called Jed Doherty. And we had a great conversation. He just was like, yeah, sorry, it was total oversight. And no, it was not done in a malicious way, which I knew. A lot of these things are not done in a malicious way basically it's just an oversight it's just but I'm really lucky because I don't think without the album and without my fans and without you know it trending I would still be in this position and I would be looking at Brits every year Mercury's every year wishing I was on that list and the irony is you know the half the album was recorded in the UK the other half in LA but the album's released for a UK label everyone who works on it pretty much is British and I've lived here longer than some people on the nominations list have been alive so you know I just felt that that's British enough so I was able to announce that the rules have been changed to allow people who've lived here for five years and so which made it was so amazing it's so like people like Kylie Minogue <laughs> are now eligible for a Brit as a Brit Which is so sick because I feel like she's ours. I'm sorry, Australia, but
0: (laughs) Kylie's ours. We've claimed Kylie, for sure. We've claimed
1: Kylie. Um, We love her so much. And people like Ashnika, who've lived here for um, several
0: years, is now eligible. But I'm really happy that this has been the result. It's such an important and really moving story because I think not only for artists like Kylie, who must be grateful for all that you've done. I so think <laughs> she's got a lot of awards. <laughs> so fine. Yeah, she's probably got a fair few, but there's she's always like, room oh, for cool. more. <laughs> but also not just for the artists, but for all of your huge, huge fan base, the music lovers around the world who've maybe felt othered or not recognised to see artists that they adore, who look like them, be recognised is so, so, so important. So I think it's just such a huge step.
1: I'm so, so happy that it's been changed and I and already there's been people who will be affected positively by it. And to me, I guess it's just what it means, what it means for there to be a, a bar to entry. What does that send the message to people? And... And within the, this whole campaign, I didn't want to be negative whatsoever. And i that's not the change I believe in, really. I always believe in positive change. And I try not to say things that are behind the scenes and my frustrations or anything like that. I always try and tell it in a, in a way that's informative. I knew it was a misunderstanding. And a lot of these things are just oversights, not, you know, not all. But a lot of these things are oversights. And I always like to give people, even the people I don't know, the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, that's kind of, yeah, I wanted to change things, but I didn't want it to turn into hate. That's sort of what my um, emphasis was, because, you know, I don't I don't think trying to retaliate with hate is that
0: useful in certain circumstances. And I think that's why the Sawayama is British hashtag was really powerful, because it it wasn't an attack, as you said. It just felt positive. It's like, recognize that I am a part of this industry, recognize the contribution that I've been making.
1: I'm British too. Exactly. I think that's when it gets a bit egoistic for activism, when you start to think that everyone's against you. Um, In some circumstances, I think that is right, but there are a lot of people who do support you and they want to do right as well, but they can't be perfect. And so I think it's just sort of gently pointing those things out, trying to put the facts down and explaining to people. And I think... Because I have such a huge difference in my family about the beliefs and the way I grew up is so different to my family that I've had to perfect the art of doing that. Obviously, I went through a very shouty period with my parents too, especially with my mum. <laughs> but that's not what solves things, you know. And especially in this political climate where everything's so far apart that we're just yelling at each other, if if I can help in any way to try and use conversation to facilitate a bit more of a bridge, then that is my hope. I would never want to be a politician, but if I can spread a message of positivity and productive change, then
0: I will always try and do that. So what was particularly exciting about all of the changes that you've brought about in the music industry is the happy outcome. And you've, of course, been nominated um, ah! for a Brit Award. How, how did that feel?
1: I literally fell to the floor. I was on the way back from a shoot Jamie, the head of my label, texted me in the car and was like, I need to do a Zoom call with you right now. And I was like, what? Like, is everything okay? And he's like, it's fine. I'll just do a group, group FaceTime. So then he called me with like my product manager and like everyone else on the team. And then was just like, and they didn't know either. And then, cause I always, I just thought, I just always think something bad's happening. So I was really scared. And then he said, you've been nominated. And yeah, I just cried and cried and cried. Basically it just means so much more. Because I 100% wouldn't have been eligible for that prize. And honestly, even looking at the other nominees, like I just think that they're all
0: incredible. And the
1: fact that there's like, you know, two Asian girls on the rising star
0: exactly that it's so diverse it's just monumental it shows the change yeah
1: even last year with joy crooks and bb doobie and stuff i mean it's just it's you know it's always really exciting to see how diverse it's getting and um so many incredible musicians so you know just kind of all the best of luck to everyone but yeah i fell on the floor and just was like i just couldn't i couldn't believe it yeah
0: Oh, well, it's such important recognition for such an amazing album and an amazing artist. You've obviously been incredibly vocal on lots of amazing causes, but the changes that you have helped bring about, particularly in the music industry with the Mercury and Brit Awards, has that ignited a new passion for you to do even more?
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm so fortunate that the thing I campaigned against actually changed. And I know that that's not the story for the more important issues in the world. And so yeah, I'm always going to be outspoken. I always try and channel it through my music as well. My music, I do think, is inherently political because I'm I'm not talking about like stop the war or whatever, but I'm trying to spread messages of love in in sort of niche areas or niche communities um, that people have actually forgotten. So it has lit if I mean, but I I'm like this. I'm just gonna speak up anyway. I, I've been
0: very encouraged by the fact that things have changed. That candour and honesty of yours is something that people really appreciate because your songs are incredibly personal, speaking about depression, racism, family trauma, internalized shame over your sexuality. But then at the same time, they're also incredibly upbeat and catchy and beautiful. So it's this really powerful juxtaposition of those two things. Do you find it cathartic to be that open or is it really an important part of your output that you're that candid?
1: Yeah, I guess it's not really a choice for me, really. I cannot, for the love of me, like I can't write a heterosexual love song. I would love to. It would sell more, but I can't. (laughs) But you know, like I try and be really honest with my writing and I'm always thinking about my inner child when I'm writing and things that, you know, that inner child would want to hear or things that aren't really expressed in the media that much or messages to people who need to be told stuff and yeah, I guess for this record, I really deep dived into my family history. I asked to see my grandma's old albums and just to see what my parents, what their childhood was like, because I think it's really interesting when you have a difficult relationship with your parents, you somehow forget that they're also human as well. So it was a really important process for me to go through that. There was a lot of therapy, which I was advocating for therapy. And then I just, just, I guess I kind of built up the bank of feelings inside Really, for me, my biggest heartbreaks in my life are not about lovers. There's been some, but I, I would say the biggest one would be like the heartbreak between me and like my expectation of me or heartbreak between me and my friends or me and my family or my family and my fa- my friends and their family, you know? And so I want to tell those kind of heartbreaks, I think. There's enough people writing really great songs about traditional love. But I wanted to hear songs like Chosen Family on a record and I wanted to hear songs like STFU and Dynasty that doesn't really make sense in a pop record, but it did to me. So I kind of just did what felt right, I guess.
0: Well, it makes so much sense to all of us. And as you said, it's really wonderful in the music industry to hear different narratives to hear different points of view because there's always someone out there who can relate to that story so it's so so important but I think to go back to your love and discovery of music I understand that it happened um, after a visit to Paris as a teen can you can you share a bit more about that?
1: Well I mean that trip to Paris as a 15 year old by myself was because I was a stan I was a fan of this band called Bravery, which who I don't even think they're around anymore. But I was so into indie music. And I was obsessed with going to gigs. I'd skip schools, go to gigs. And I always was skipping school to go see some Justin Timberlake was around the corner from, you know, staying in a hotel around the corner from my school. So I skipped, like, the last two periods to then go <laughs> um, and see him. And, like, I was always chasing after pop artists and bands. So I know that feeling. I really know that feeling of truly feeling like you're in a relationship with an artist or a band and, now that I'm an artist, I want to honor that feeling and honor the time and even the money, I guess, that people spend on an artist by being truthful and by making them feel part of the journey is the most exciting thing for me. And I think even with the Sama British campaign, it I mean, truly without them, it wouldn't have happened or blown up in the way that it did. So yeah, it's really important to keep my fans in mind because I always remember that 15-year-old Rena. You know, it wasn't as much I discovered music when I was 15. It's more I really discovered the power of fans. And when I went to gigs, it wasn't really about the band. It was about what I saw about myself by seeing the band, how I felt about myself after seeing the band. So I always try and think about
0: that when I do shows. Definitely. And I think one thing that I adore when I go to see live music is that sense of community and togetherness. And when other experiences can make you feel othered or isolated, being in a group, chanting someone's lyrics (sighs) with, you know, you don't know the person next to you's name. It's just so powerful to all be unified, united by that love for the person on stage or the people on stage. And it's just such a magical experience. So, I cannot wait to see you live again. I cannot wait to be in a sweaty room again. It's just, we miss it. (laughs) Oh, same, I know. But it still must be very challenging being a public figure and having to give up quite a huge part of yourself through your lyrics and your image. How, How do you block out that negativity, which unfortunately pervades on social media? How do you check in with yourself, look after your mental health when unfortunately there are trolls and haters?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's something I've definitely had to learn this year or, you know, of course, the last year because my fan base has grown. And obviously there's lots of positive comments. But yeah, like you said, there's negative comments too. I'm just really strict with my phone, basically. I don't have my phone on me when I don't need it. I go on Twitter or Instagram to post and then I don't scroll through comments.
0: Wow, that's 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 amazing that you have it's that restraint. Hard, yeah, <laughs> but
1: you know, I have like my closest fans on my in my messages. So I speak to them and I actually check my Stan account. So I have an, actually, it's called an update account. Sorry, it's like a, it's called Renis Oema Updates on Twitter, shout out. And they do such a great job. And so I find out what like fans are doing. If they're doing like a cover of my song, then I'll find out on that feed. So I don't have to search my name in Twitter, for example, which I no longer do. And I don't search my name on Google or anything like that. I do sometimes break the rules and look at some reactions to my album on YouTube, people do these 40 minute reaction videos to my my album and some of them i mean most of them have been positive so it's really good and it's actually quite fun to hear people picking up on the things that i wanted to pick up on and the first reactions and things like that but yeah i'm I'm really strict i have a strict routine that i've stuck with since january where I I'm like in bed at nine thirty, and then I'll go to bed at ten thirty. Like I'm asleep at ten thirty, and my sleep cycle score and I track my sleep and it is always one hundred percent. So I'm always well rested, and I get up at like six o'clock every morning, and I don't check my my phone at all, and I make sure I exercise and meditate and things like that. And I know I totally notice when I don't do those things, and meditation is so important to me as well. So just being on top of that is very, it's been, it's been life changing and it's been so important for my mental health.
0: Such sound advice, especially now when we're, for the most part, spending a lot of time by ourselves yes. and our phone is our companion. And obviously, as we've discussed, you're an incredible changemaker in your short career have brought about monumental change in the music industry. But who are your changemakers of tomorrow? Honestly, Monroe Bergdorf is
1: just so amazing. And I honestly can't imagine a world without her. Like she, I don't know how she does it every single day where she doesn't get fed up with the world and just gives up. Because to her, especially, you know, like people are so horrible to trans people. And she's so, as a person, she's so loving and so funny. And I just find her incredible. And she's been speaking up about, Black Lives Matter. I I I found I obviously like she kind of came to the forefront when she stepped um down from well she didn't actually, she was actually fired from that L'Oreal advert and Clara Amfo also stepped down those two people I love so much so yeah I would say Monroe is um, my fave, although Clara as well amazing I I also want to shout out to Kim she's Vietnamese and she's from the East end and she's like a proper cockney gal, but she used to train me. And it's so amazing seeing a trainer who's Asian. And I, and I know that sounds really stupid, but there's not enough people in movement who are Asian, East Asian. And so I remember when she was training me, she, she just like totally understood me. So a little shout out to Kim as well. Yeah. She's, she's just incredible. There's so many incredible women.
0: There are so many incredible women, but Clara, Monroe, Kim, they sound amazing and you're of course amazing. What can we expect from you? What's, what's happening in the coming weeks and months?
1: Well, so we're coming up to the one year anniversary of my record and there's going to be something really exciting happening around there. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I've been asked to do a repress of my EP, which came before my album, and I haven't done that in years. So that's also hopefully going to come out around about that time and... And hopefully I'm
0: coming out with more stuff and hopefully we can see you live in the not so distant future as well.
1: Yeah. I've got UK tour. I keep forgetting. I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping that will happen. We're keeping the dates there as it is, it's in November. I actually had like a runway in the, like you can request a runway. It's not like I just was like, can you just build a runway for me? (laughs) You can request a runway from the stage, like just out that goes out into the audience. But we had to cut that out so we can sell more tickets because it was it sold out yeah so i hope i can see people there
0: we really cannot wait to see you live and to hear new music from you and thank you so much for joining us today on the change makers podcast it's been such a pleasure talking to you rena
1: thanks so much for having me not at all
0: bye bye Changemakers was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade. Hosted by Sarah Bailey and Alice Casely Hayford, and produced by Laura Hyde. The executive producer is Ruth Barnes. Original music and engineering by Alex Portfelix. Enter the code Changemakers at the checkout for 10% off your first Netaporte order. T's and C's and exclusions apply.